Well, hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again with Anthony's Gardening Show. Now, last month, boy, was that kind of intense for you guys, too? You know, anytime we start talking about naturalized and natives and whatnot, and this isn't just in Bellingham, this is nationwide. Um, that becomes a very interesting discussion. And I encourage you, if you're members of garden clubs or you just have gardening friends and you get together, I encourage you to open a dialogue about the about these two topics because the whole naturalized and uh, native concepts are really hot button topics these days. Um, so we did talk about na uh, native plants last week or uh, last month. So now let's talk about naturalized. Naturalized plants are going to be a lot more fun because. You know, in some respects, you can think of naturalized plants as basically that uber hardy perennial that just keeps given and given and given and given. But let us let us actually broaden that definition just a little bit, because a naturalized plant is not a native, but it is one that recedes and spreads on its very own without any of our help um, once we plant it. Um, but it also attracts pollinators. So that'll be something else that we're going to want to think about. We really, when we talk about naturalized plants and naturalizing plants, we're really talking about something far more than just a plant that we put in that we really like that we're going to get more next year and then more the next year and more the next year. We're actually talking about something far more um, intricate and involved because it also deals with creating a food source, um, as all, as well as shelter for insects and other, um, animals. So it really, really does do a lot more than just look pretty. But for the sake of gardening, we're going to really focus in on plants that naturalize and that help us with pollinization and whatnot. Um, so really when we're talking about, one of the very first plants that come to mind are daffodils. Um, daffodils are kind of the gardening 101 naturalized plant because anybody who has planted daffodils and not had them dug up by said little um, squirrels, chipmunks, or eaten by the deer, we'll know that next year that one bulb will begin to split off and you'll get more of a clump off of that one bulb. But if you leave it there for long enough, you'll end up with quite, uh, several bulbs. Um, I think many of us have probably ended up having to go out and divide bulbs up from the bulb garden because we planted just 12 of them and now there's 1,200 of them. So it really does mean that they are dividing, they are creating their own, but even more to uh, more than that is that they're also providing pollen. So pollen for those early, early bees that are coming out, they love the pollen of a daffodil. Um, sadly, we can't get tulips really to do that too terribly much. Actually, in most places that I've lived anyway, um, we're actually lucky to get tulips to come back at all. Um, but with that said, you have a much better chance of getting all those tulips to come back if we stick to the stripped down varieties. And what that is, is really to say we want to get the varieties that are the straight yellow, the straight red, 
those are the old school varieties. Those are the ones that you're going to, that um, if we were in an area where these actually came up naturally, those are what you would see. Not any of the hybrids. Those do tend to be a lot more hardy and they do tend to come back for a little bit longer. But unfortunately, tulips are definitely not the plant that wants to naturalize, at least not in our area. So consequently, um, let's go back to the daffodils, though, because daffodils really are that variety. And so what I normally tell people, if you're in your forever home and you want a beautiful stand of daffodils, select the area that you want to put them in and then buy about half of what you want. And I'm saying half. So if you have an area that could easily house, say, four or five hundred bulbs, then only buy about 200 of them because these are going to naturalize and they're going to split and divide and split and divide. And inside of about five years, you're going to have at least a third more daffodils than you had when you planted. And in 10 years, you're definitely going to, you'll probably even get a double on that. So those are really, really, really pretty wonderful uh, naturalizers. And one of my favorite, if, uh, if you have that great uh, wooded lawn, a wooded area that you, that you've been planting up for years, Think along the lines of things um, that are super, super hardy. Dicentra formosa um, and Dicentra spectabilis. Now, those are going to actually be bleeding hearts. Bleeding heart, uh, the formosa is going to be the variety that you're going to see as you go hiking. That variety there is a native. You're going to see that in most of your hikes. Um, they're beautiful. They're interesting. But Dicentra spectabilis is the, st the standard hybrid variety of bleeding heart um, that can actually get, believe it or not, get quite large. Um, and by quite large, I really do mean about three feet tall. And I think the largest one I've seen was about three feet by about five feet. And you should have seen the flowers on it. It was absolutely spectacular. But what's interesting is that the homeowner, when I walked through that garden, says that they planted that years ago as a four-inch plant. So this is a really, really, really good example of how this is naturalized. There's also now around the, in that same garden, they have the bleeding hearts popping up here and there because they're so happy they've naturalized. Now, one thing I want you to know right from the get-go is that just because most of these plants are known for naturalizing efficiently, don't be surprised if, if sometimes they don't do it in your yard. Because do keep in mind that still plants need their, they need what they need. Um, they need good drainage. They need good soil. And sometimes we may or may not have that. So if we don't have that, believe me, it's something that we have to say, okay, um, we're going to either have to amend our soils with some beautiful compost and whatnot, or we need to change directions. But for the sake of argument here, we're going to go ahead and um, add beautiful drainage, some gorgeous uh, compost, because that is what's ultimately going to help things naturalize and become in there. And they become virtually effortless. Uh, there's enough nutrients in the soil. And so when we go ahead and, and fertilize, then what we're really wanting to do is we're giving it a little bit of extra food saying, here you go, keep going, you're doing a great job. Um, I kind of think about it sometimes uh, when it comes to the plants that I have naturalized as almost a attaboy. Um, I kind of want to say, good job, you're doing great, have a little munchie, 
um, and have some nice 2020-20 or whatever your favorite uh, fertilizer is. So that is actually a really, 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 to me, a good thing because I never, ever want to uh, starve our plants because, again, I still think of plants as being living, breathing entities and, well, you know, we want to eat. Why not them? So remember, um, I love to see the, uh, like in this particular case, that uh, bleeding heart, that bleeding heart gets fertilized with water-soluble fertilizer maybe twice a year. So really what that means is that it's virtually nothing. So it has everything it needs inside that soil, and it has just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger as time goes on, which is very, 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 very cool. Um, I really love seeing that. You know what other thing? Um, now that's a great, uh, great plant for shade. Another really good plant for shade, um, hosta. Who does not have a hosta that has not sent up a little bitty crown after a few years? Um, that little bitty crown is a brand new plant that has been created by the, by the plant. So that is another really good plant that naturalizes very, very well. Um, excellent for shade. And of course, ferns. While we have a handful of ferns that are native in our areas, all ferns, once they're happy and once they're really, really established, will do the exact same thing. They're going to put out babies. You know, and when we're talking about ferns, I just want to touch on something because this past week I had a client of mine um, bring a fern back that she had bought in, uh, I think, the fall of last year. It says I was just getting to New Jersey. And she said, look at the back of it. There's spots all over it. I think it's scale. So I want to reiterate to you that those little dots on the back of uh, some of the ferns are not scaled or spores. It's how the plant reproduces. And that's a beautiful thing. When we see those spores, we know that our ferns are happy healthy. And guess what? You're going to be a parent. You're going to have more ferns. So let's remember um, ferns are another really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful plant to put down that naturalizes well, that does exceedingly well um, in almost every area. Remember, they don't want dense shade. They do want a little bit of light, but they do need very well-drained soil and moisture. Rutabecchia, black-eyed Susans. Okay, who doesn't love those? Those are the happiest little plant, little flowers on the face of the earth. Rutabecchias are such a fantastic naturalizer. They, I, I had some clients up on Alabama Hill that had a stand of black-eyed Susans, Rutabecchia. And they, this stand pretty much wrapped all the way around their yard. They bought the house when it was new. And as I was walking, I know I, I was marveling at this beautiful border of bright yellow and black flowers. And it was a nice solid border that, that I, I, and I had to talk to them about that. I said, it was, you know, you did a great job putting this border in. They looked at me and said, actually, this plant has just naturalized exceptionally well. It is seven plants in a one gallon container that did exceptionally well. So these are things that are going to be pretty effortless for you to grow and effortless for you to play around with and have 
more plants as the time goes on. Um, some, usually when I plant something and if I'm really wanting it to naturalize well, I probably for that first year am going to go ahead and give them some fertilizer. I'm going to make sure that there's some compost down. Um, I really want them to get off of, get off on a very, very, very good start. Lots and lots and lots of fun. And they're easy as I'll get up to go. Another really cool plant that I want you to think about that will naturalize super, super well is called Gallianthus. It's also called Snowdrop. It is in your bulb section. And these are some of the most marvelous, marvelous and happy, cheerful little plants with, you know, they're only going to get probably about six, eight inches tall with these great little white flowers. They're going to be super, super, super easy to grow. Um, always a lot of fun. Allium is another one. Allium is another one that will divide itself and get larger and larger and larger. Now, notice that a lot of these things were, were, were kind of jumping around as far as um, bloom time. But I think I, what I'm doing is I'm trying to say these all are going to support the biodiversity of your garden. And that's important because it's not just the plants that need to be healthy, but it's everything else that needs to be in balance. Um, so rem I, I really want you to keep that in your head and uh, keep kind of playing around with that. Um, other plants that I really, really, really enjoy um, are really going to be things like um, echinaceas. I love echinaceas and also sedums. How many people, I love to see a beautiful stand of sedum. There is a house right by Trader Joe's um, in Bellingham that has the most beautiful naturalized uh, crop of sedum that I've ever seen, to be very honest. They're the beautiful, um, I think they're called uh, je uh, uh, jelly drop sedum. They're bright golden. And these people have, have worked with us masterfully. Um, easy to, they've taken care of it. They hit it with a little fertilizer from time to time, but nothing too major. We really don't want to do anything major with them because, again, the whole idea is that they spread and they divide pretty pretty effortlessly. This is something you're not really going to have to work that much with. Um, so it becomes kind of your almost don't have to fool with it except water kind of garden. Other uh, things that are fun, think along the line of the Ephelion. It's also referred to as a star flower. These are so cool because they are easy, easy to grow. They have kind of a garlicky aroma to it. So when I smell these, frankly speaking, it makes me hungry because I'm thinking that maybe there's some pasta somewhere being brewed up. But these are really wonderful. Two to four inches uh, high, um, easy to grow, and just, just insanely um, fun. The tulip sylvestris are the varieties of tulips that I really want you to think about. They are kind of a stripped down variety. They're not super, super um, hybrid variety. You know, whenever I think about hybrids, I really do think about um, a purebred dog. If you ever notice, a purebred dogs, and I've had plenty of them in my life, but they're sickly. They, they seem to have things wrong with them. Well, the really, really, really hybridized varieties of plants, they have more opportunity for getting a little bit on the sickly side. So we really do want those very, very natural varieties if you want to really stick within that genre of native slash um, naturalized. 
Um, other things that I want you to think about that may not be quite as obvious are, again, we were talking about echinacea. Echinacea is such a terrific plant. Um, probably the biggest cause that I've seen that it does not naturalize is that people at the in fall get a little bit uh, too Johnny on the spot and cut these things back before they've really had the opportunity to photosynthesize. That is definitely something that we want to always make sure. And we want to do that with all of our blooming plants. So whether or not it is a bulb or it is a perennial or what have you, when they're done blooming, we do not want to cut them back too precipitously. We do want to let them store as much energy in the plant as humanly possible, uh, because that is going to give it the wherewithal to not only come back, but to actually come back big. You know, there are even plants that will naturalize nicely that are aquatic plants. When we think about uh, water lilies, if you're buying hardy water lilies, do know that uh, you're, it's not that you should, it's that you need to go through about once every three years and kind of pull your lilies out of the water and you need to divide them. Otherwise, they're going to slow down. You're not going to get quite as many flowers off of them. And it's not going to be as fun and as great of a show for you. Now, a lot of people will replant some of the tuber. Other people just compost it. So do what you, what you need to do. If you have somebody you can give it to, that's awesome. Um, but, uh, but if you don't need it and you have a small pond and you now have six water lilies, well, that might be a little too much for a small pond. Um, so go ahead and, and compost them. Totally good idea. Also think about your grasses. Grasses are really good at, uh, at naturalizing. They come back really strong year after year, but you always find them spreading. Um, a very good example is called stipia. Stipia is called feather grass. Um, and when you buy stipia or feather grass, buyer beware. Because in Bellingham, Washington, that is one of the hardiest of all the grasses. And I guarantee you're going to have it in a lot of places that you may or may not want it. So give it plenty of room to stretch its little, uh, little legs and its seed heads. Um, I remember there was a place, there's a garden on Alabama that is kind of more by Cornwall, um, kind of on that side. And they went through one year and planted a whole bunch of these. And I would drive by going, y'all are going to be sorry. And inside of a couple of years, I, <laughs> I actually drove by them. I kind of felt bad because they were ripping that stuff out frantically um, because it just went everywhere. So when you're working with your nursery professional, um, or you're always welcome to drop me a line at askantony at outlook.com and say, hey, what do you think about these? And what is the likelihood that it's going to get out of control? At which point um, they will know that I will know that for you. If I don't, if I'm not familiar with the plant, then I will, I've got plenty of research material. But that is what the nursery professionals are there for. So remember that when you go and you've got something, you know, naturalizing to me is one thing, but going absolutely crazy like on stipia is a whole other can of worms. So we do want to say, okay, how is this going to naturalize? And if that is, if this kind of information is not necessarily in your ballpark, 
and in your um, tackle box, then you know what? That is what we're here for. And we are here to help you and, and to ask answer questions that you've got. Um, I love when things like Black-Eyed Susan and Echinacea get out of hand because that's probably one of the most beautiful out of hands you can get. On the other hand, let's talk about ivy. Ivy or Hedrahelix is another plant that in, I, I have so far not been anywhere in America that it has not made itself absolutely at home. This is where we go from being a really, really wonderful ground cover to something that might make you want to tear your neighbor's hair out. Because this goes from a hardy plant to a naturalized plant to one that is now um, becoming, it's encroaching. Um, it's becoming a pest. And then you start saying, what did I do this for? Because the reality is ripping that, ripping ivy out after it's gotten to that point, that's going to be a job. And I highly recommend uh, teenagers with a $50 bill and a hand Maddox. Be mindful about what we're putting in. Now, Washingtonians tend to be a little bit more mindful, when, particularly when it comes to ivy, because ivy is definitely one of those plants that is, is kind of on the fast track to become a noxious weed. But in other parts of the country, we may not necessarily know that. So there are still parts of the country that readily sell multiple different types of ivy for you to put in your garden. And they just haven't got there yet. But another vine that does the same thing, though, um, is vinca. So vinca is another one. If anybody has ever been to the nature preserve out by Sudden Valley across from Gate 9, once you start on the hike, you'll notice a large stand of vinca that somebody threw down there. It's been there for years, and it is now threatening to take over a significant portion of that area. So when you're out wandering around and whatnot, these are some things that I personally like to pay special attention to. Uh, when I saw that, my first thought was, is this can't be a native. And as I did some rummaging and nosing around, I discovered that somebody had taken a plant and just thrown it there to see what would happen. And now we've seen what would happen. Now there's a lot of Inca and it's crawling up trees and it could end up becoming a noxious weed in that particular area. Other things that are so much fun to do. Um, I love Cobea scandens. I was able to get Cobea to come back in a pot on its own volition for about four years. It is an annual vine that I let go to seed. And weirdly, the seeds germinated year after year after year. A really fun plant doesn't get out of, contr out of uh, control, doesn't get out of hand, but it's a lot of fun. And it's a beautiful, beautiful flower. It actually changes uh, color from kind of a creamy white uh, to a very, very sky blue into a very dark blue. So it's definitely something you'd want to kind of play around with and have fun with. I love the idea of taking naturalized plants and popping them in the garden. Naturalized plants as opposed to native plants. I think last month we had talked about the native plants where you buy them in the garden center and you almost don't recognize them because they're so full and so thick and so beautiful. 
and then you get them into your garden and then well they turn into a native plant they're just like they are in in the wild they start thinning out and i'm um, getting a little bit straggly by contrast naturalized plants seem to get better and better every year they're still thick they're still lush they're still rich and full and they're going to offer every year they're just going to keep giving and keep giving and keep giving one plant that i would be absolutely remiss to not mention is lycanthemum or daisies common daisies are one of the most wonderful wonderful plants you know if you have an area for them because they do naturalize very very quickly i really do recommend when you love daisies love them and put them somewhere where only they can grow i will tell you that most of the time that i've seen daisies or lycanthemum will choke out other plants it's kind of a fun idea I've done plant, I've done gardens where I've put lycanthemum or daisies in the very center of a garden, but around it, if you're familiar with the metal edging strips that are, say, approximately eight inches wide, I've actually taken that metal strip and created a circle. Now, that's the daisies' own little circle that they get to play in, and them jumping that edging is unlikely or it'll take a long, long time for them to do that. So this is one way that I use to kind of keep a few things in check because I love the plants, um, but daisies can get, they can become a noxious weed too. And let's be clear, the definition of weed is any unwanted plant in a specific location. So yeah, they can become weeds as well. When we're working with things that are super aggressive and even, even black-eyed Susans, those are also very, that can be very aggressive, particularly if they take in and they like where they're at. It may, you may want to go ahead and put a piece of that, uh, that edging around in a shape that only they can grow in there. They can fill it up. They can have a nice time. Um, and you don't have to worry about them kind of choking everybody else out. There are certain varieties of peonies that I've actually seen naturalize. Not all of them, but some of the peone chinensis, that is the varieties that most people are familiar with. It's not the tree peony or the etos. Um, it's kind of a stripped down variety, maybe a variety that you might recognize um, from your grandmother's garden. Um, but some of those can actually uh, do that, can do that as well. One thing, when we're talking about this, um, this edging around, sometimes it really benefits you to do a little bit of research. If you say, okay, I know this is probably a naturalized plant. I need to do some research. Let me give you some things that I want you to research. First of all, we need ideal growing conditions. I think that's a really good idea because that way you'll definitely be able to put it in an area that it's going to thrive. We need to know about its roots. What are those roots doing and how do they naturally grow? Some plants have naturally shallow roots while others have naturally deep roots. Now, of course, when we have deep roots, we really, a lot of times we're talking about certain vines, uh, various clematis or clematis, depending on how you say it and where you're from, uh, will have uh, relatively deep roots. 
we need to really protect those by actually covering them up and keeping them nice and shady. But if we're wanting to contain, because uh, various varieties of uh, clambres will also naturalize. And we definitely want to know where that second one's coming. Now, if we have another clematis coming, we know that's going to be from a fairly deep root. It's never a bad idea to say, okay, maybe I need to go ahead and gingerly dig that up, cut it, and then plant it somewhere else. This is never a bad idea because you will be able to have more of your stock that you've got and you're not going to lend it, uh, it's not going to lend itself to any situations. As we continue to move forward, there are so many plants. Uh, uh, blueberries are another really beautiful variety that loves the Pacific Northwest and anywhere that is cloudy, cool, and rainy. And boy, it's been cloudy, cool, and rainy for you guys uh, this past year. So those are going to be things that you're going to also start finding are going to naturalize quite well as, uh, as, as well. So knowing the growing habits and just because we are buying plants now that we know are going to be super hardy and are going to come back and going to multiply, that is not the extent of what we need to know. We really do need to know a lot more about it of what are the roots doing and how strong are the roots? Can those roots choke out other plants? Can they uh, jump? the proverbial um, little metal uh, edging and or can they go under it these are things that we probably should know that way we can mitigate some of the damage that can be done because naturalizes maybe even a nicer way of saying it grows a lot and fast it may be a nicer way of saying um, it could become noxious. You want to know a great naturalized plant that most people are familiar with is a butterfly bush. Now, butterfly bushes are not quite as crazy as they used to be because about six years ago, possibly seven years ago, the USDA came and I know they came into Bellingham at all the nurseries and condemned everybody's stock. And we had to buy plants now that were available, what, one or two years later at that did not have quite the hormone that the old school variety did. Now, if y'all remember back in the day, you could actually take a piece of butterfly bush, cut it off and drop it on the ground and it would grow. Anybody who goes to Seattle regularly, if you got off on the Capitol Hill, um, exit and i'm trying to remember the name of that exit i think broadway the broadway exit uh in between two pieces of pavement and i used to drive by it all the time there was a butterfly bush growing there it was huge and it was in flower well that probably isn't going to be quite as easy anymore they're still very 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 fertile shall we say but we're going to definitely give them a little bit of a different uh, different uh, um, nod as we plant them this time. They're not going to become noxious anymore, thank goodness. But the nice thing is, is that they're very, very, very easy to grow. And once they're established, you'll probably see from the roots some babies coming up as well in a few years. It doesn't mean that you're going to be inundated or that it's going to get huge and, and completely take over the world, but it does mean that 
They are very, very easy to naturalize and they're fun to play around with. So when we're playing around with all of these amazing things, remember, mix them in to some of your other garden, uh, your other your other gardens, utilize them in ways that support its growth habit as opposed to make you crazy. Um, I've actually utilized certain poppies that naturalized well around a container, and I wanted it to get as full and as thick and as dense as humanly possible. And that was with some of the oriental poppies, beautiful, beautiful red with the black throat, absolutely gorgeous. But we utilize them and we planted them in an area that will be, you know, it's kind of fill it up, take care of it. And after a few years, when it was completely full, it was probably one of the most breathtaking uh, displays of red and black you've seen. So what's nice is that we thought about this ahead of time. It wasn't going to be something like Scylla. Scylla is another one. It's a wonderful, wonderful bulb, but it is one that naturalizes quickly. And interestingly, if you play, um, the bulbs actually seem to make themselves deeper and deeper as time goes on. I've actually dug down two and three feet and found Scylla bulbs. Beautiful plants, but know that they will go where they want to go. Scylla is going to be one that's going to be, it's also called bluebell. It's all, it's going to be something that's going to be far more difficult for you to uh, to um, control. So when we put that down, let's know that. I've got this area under a tree that nothing is growing and I would like to see some green. So you drop in some syllables and or some bluebells and you've got this really lovely, lovely, you know, it, it blooms blue in the springtime, but for the summertime, it almost looks like grass. So it's a nice, beautiful addition to the garden and again you've, you've you're playing on its strengths not playing on your weakness because my weakness is when i have to go out there and start controlling things because i planted them and now i have to rip them out so when we're planting anything that is native or naturalized we really do want to talk about a lot more where do we put these? How do I best serve these plants and get them in an area that they can thrive and they can grow and it can be the stand that we really, 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 really want? With that said, I I really do welcome all of your calls and or all of your calls. How about that? I'm going to give them out my phone number. Um, I really do recommend, golly, I am just stumbling. With all of that said, I would love to get some of your emails at askantony at outlook.com. I think it would be absolutely magnificent to hear from you. And by the way, Ira, I got your mail and Symphocarpus is a beautiful shrub. You're right. And in fact, uh, my garden does have some. I do recommend putting it in a part sun, part shade area. And I wanna, I'm glad I, I wrote this down because I did not want to forget about you. But uh, part sun, part shade. And remember, if you want to keep it looking really, really, really good, unlike the rest of your, natu- or your natives, you're going to have to work with it a little bit. So think along the line of feeding it regularly. Think along the line of pruning regularly because that's how we're going to get those nice, Full shrubs as opposed to those lanky things that you probably saw when you were out hiking.
So Ira, thank you very much for uh, writing me. I sincerely appreciate it. And I, I really want to hear from all of you. Ask Anthony at Outlook.com. I would love to hear from you guys. And until next month, next month, we're going to be talking about elements of formal design. So when we're looking at a garden um, that maybe you feel intimidated walking through, which I have to confess is one of my favorite kind of gardens because it inspires, inspires awe, then we're going to talk next month about how to bring some of those elements into your garden. Or if you really want to get crazy, how to set up a very, very formal garden um, and amaze and mystify all of your friends. So with all of that said, I am humbled that I could come out and talk to you again this month. And I look forward to talking to you next month about the formal gardens. Until then, this is Anthony and keep gardening with me. Bye now.